Hey everybody, before we get started, I uh, just wanted to throw out a little content warning. Um, both of the movies we discussed in this episode uh, deal pretty heavily with uh, sexual violence, so if you don't want that negativity in your life or don't really want to hear uh, three white dudes talk about it, uh, feel free to skip this episode. We completely understand. So uh, here we go. Everybody, welcome back to Odd Splice. It's our uh, our third episode. Uh, I'm uh, I'm your host Josh. I'm uh, your arbiter, Wesley James. What's arbiter mean? I'm going to be uh, arb- arbitrationing this uh, this battle of wills. Yeah, he's this contest of titans. Indeed, he is. I like that. And I'm Caleb. I am the uh, eternal challenger. Nay, mortal enemy of your host, Josh. We are uh, fated to do battle until uh, basically Ragnarok uh, descends upon the world and ends all of creation. Uh, so that's us. And I give up points. We're back and we're you know bringing our hotly anticipated uh, hashtag peens on screens episode. Hashtag peens. Hell yeah. <laughs> on <laughs> hashtag screens <laughs> so uh, yeah before we dive in and uh reveal our choices uh just want to um you know thank everybody for listening to the first uh, couple episodes um it was a way bigger response than i think we were really anticipating and we're moved by that and then a spe- super special shout out to tasha robinson for the very kind words on twitter uh, you super didn't need to do that, but uh, we were all very moved. We we really really appreciate it, Tasha Robinson. You've, uh, as far as talking about movies goes, you've like li- lived your life in the trenches and are are kind of an icon yep. down it. Really really rocks to have even been on the radar. Yep, you're the best. It's uh, yeah, very very humbling as uh, somebody who's been interested in movies and reading about them on the internet. So thanks again, Tasha. All right, so it's uh, it's peens on screens hashtag, uh, which is I don't know, fairly self-explanatory. Um, so, of course, this theme was randomly chosen out of our our theme hat, and uh, so the criteria is basically it's got to have like an actual penis on on screen at some point in the film. Um, so let's get into our our, our picks real quick. Uh, Caleb, what did you bring this week? I picked the movie The Hunt. Yeah, directed by Thomas Vinterberg and starring Mads Mikkelsen and then a bunch of random-ass Danish actors. Uh, Thanks. That's yeah, right. you're, you're all... Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, my pick was Eastern Promises, uh, the, what, 2006, 2000... Yeah, 2006. Doesn't matter what the year is. Uh, David Cronenberg starring Viggo Mortensen, Naomi Watts, Vincent Cassell, et al., um, I'd love to to do to get a little bit anecdotal here, Josh. The the line peens on screens. This has been this is this wasn't a, a random construction for you. You've, you've had this floating around your sort of oove since 2015. Yeah, yeah, easily. So <laughs> last episode, shouted out my buddy Jordan Balint up in Toronto. Oh, I got a buddy uh, Borden Borden uh, Malint up in uh, Zoranto. Oh, uh, I wanted to say hey to Borden Jalent in Bro Broronto. You know Borden? Uh, 
Blorden Blorent. Blorden Blorent, yeah. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we kind of came up with, with the hashtag just because, like, there's all sorts of, like, boobs and stuff in, like, mostly mainstream cinema, and, uh... The dingus is not fe- featured as heavily. Uh, the dinger. Yeah. <laughs> the dinger. Uh. There are two ways to get even, and we don't have the, the power or authority to, to censor boobs, but we can at least support big penis. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's all about it's all about uh pushing for gender equality and I think that is uh like a big component of that is uh let's put some genitals on movie screens mm-hmm. cuz we've all got them uh let's not be so afraid of them. But yeah, let's move into like why we picked these. So I guess in the process we can kind of synopsize our movies, but um I will let my uh my hated enemy go first. <laughs> and justify its pick <laughs> oh man oh this is a tough one so if you're not familiar with with the hunt i'll try to briefly give a rundown um and in doing so explain or it will be self-explanatory mm. of why i chose the hunt the movie is about a uh centers around uh, a male kindergarten teacher who has recently lost his job at a high school and he's got this temporary gig at a kindergarten and um in a in a small small knit close-knit community in denmark i believe right denmark yeah it's denmark in denmark um and uh in the early scenes it shows that he's really good with the kids but then one of the kids accuses him of exposing himself to to them um and so the rest of the movie spirals from this moment of being accused of child molestation or sexual abuse or what have you um and uh the unraveling of the relationships and of the community as they're dealing with this um supposed alleged sexual predator um in their amidst their community and um it happens so happens that he's really good friends with the father of the child who accuses him so that relationship spirals um so it's just this really emotionally intense film because of that um so peen on screen is uh when we when we picked the theme peens on screens this was one of the first films i thought of because i was actually thinking about it for our first episode utilize Mm -hmm. nonsense Mm -hmm. just because it was dealing with like children and dealing with like this kind of uh nonsensical accusation in a way or just like false accusation i guess i should say and i was so i was thinking about it for that reason that it was like this really powerful use of of a of this accusation um but we went i went a different way obviously but um anyway so i thought of this movie again because the peen on screen is like kind of meta or literal in that the girl that accuses him she's like this five-year-old kindergarten girl uh, her brother, older brother's like running by her in the hallway in their home in like a prior scene and like runs by and he's like got like a porno on his screen like with his friend. Yeah, so they're like flipping through and they come to this, uh, they get to a screen of just an erect penis mm-hmm. and they're laughing about it and they're like, it points straight up like a rod or something like that. Yeah. And they like say that line as they run by her and like shove the screen in her face and then run off. And so 
you get this context. Um, I, I won't go on too much longer, right. but you get this context that she's immediately put had uh, forced this image into her face, and she also recognizes or kind of knows the context is is taboo or like mm-hmm. inappropriate in a way. Yeah, she she definitely registers a, a degree yeah. of trauma from the from the get go. Yeah. Trauma, but and also like kids, like she's. I think she's attuned enough. The way I interpret it is that she's attuned enough to see that this is like something that's like wrong or not yeah not yeah. acceptable but the other peen on screen happens earlier in the show oh yeah yeah just uh yeah normal ass dude diving into a cold lake in november hell yeah upon, the uh, opening of the movie you get a little <laughs> peen on screen right off the bat i totally forgot about it me too i hadn't i hadn't seen that movie since like i don't know 2013 2014 like around yeah, the time it came out same um maybe yeah. i've seen it once in between but yeah, it's like a jovial introduction scene with like the most of the men in the film that are like a good close group of friends. Like mm. they have this yeah. like tradition of skinny dipping. And yeah. so this dude is just like buck naked and you see him jump into the water. I don't know. Yeah. Get a little double peanut on screen. Yep. You're welcome. All right. So uh my contender that I'm bringing into the ring uh yeah, dude. Eastern Promises. Uh, yeah a a uh it's a mob story um specifically the russian mob uh starring yeah uh well yeah naomi watts and viggo mortensen viggo mortensen's the driver for a russian mob boss naomi watts is a uh nurse at a trauma ward and so uh the opening of the movie you see a mob hit in a turkish barber shop in london uh where a russian gangster gets his throat slit with a straight razor um, mm. and then uh it cuts to a young woman walking into a pharmacy uh and basically hemorrhaging she's pregnant barefoot has like injection marks on her arms and asks for help and then she goes to naomi watts's uh as trauma as, ward as soon as she asks for help the uh the pharmacist says i can't give you methadone right uh without a prescription and, and it cuts to she's actually in severe distress and that's that's one of those really brilliant shots that is kind of is the whole movie mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. uh yeah and so she so the woman um yeah the woman gives birth uh but dies on the table and the baby is still alive and naomi watts has found a diary in the woman's purse and then tracks it back to this restaurant that's run by the russian mob and it just goes on from goes on from there as uh she's trying to get information from the mobster the mobster's trying to keep it quiet because it obviously implicates him in some like actual crimes um uh and so the you know the the qualifier in this and the set piece of the movie if you haven't seen it is a fight scene in a bathhouse where Viggo Mortensen is completely nude fighting two assailants and it is honestly like a top 10 like movie fight scene of all time uh just in general i mean especially for me the the stakes and the way that it's the the way that it's shot and the way that all of the characters handle what's going on are uh just uncharacteristically good for hollywood fight scenes but yeah uh so yeah these are yeah movies with dingers in them and very uh different takes on what dingers mean uh so i guess now we can we can dive into the analysis so Mm -hmm. yeah uh so obviously these are like two yeah very different stories but i think there is a lot of uh thematic overlap in both of them stunningly solid parallels and a lot of a lot of different 
different cooks from the same ingredients. You know, both of these movies deal a lot in um, portrayals of masculinity and sexuality. Let's talk like, about... Let's talk about man-on-man. Some man-on-man action. Let's talk about Eastern Promises first. Okay. For that theme. So the gangster film is definitely a very, very masculine drama, or genre. <laughs> genre. Genre. It's like somebody really like had their fill of these movies watched a bunch of them all at once and like thought to themselves in a in a loving crew and like this is all so gay (laughs) 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 Uh, and it it the subversion is all of the all of the masculine touching all the like the yeah the holding of hands and like and grabbing each other holding each other up when when the world is ending or when one person's too drunk and like touching each yeah. other's necks and kissing each other's sides of cheeks and, and yeah what if what if this all was what it looked like and it was just this really like beautiful expression of <laughs> of gay love but you know it's still the fucking 90s in russia or right in, or yeah in the russian well, mob right yeah so it's a uh, i mean yeah specifically that's the relationship between Viggo mortensen's and uh vincent cassell's characters nikolai and kirill so Kirill being the uh, the son of the main mob boss and Viggo Mortensen's character Nikolai being the driver. Yeah, like early on, there's just a lot of like stuff that could be interpreted as broy, but it it really turns out that like like by the end it is very obvious that Kirill is just in love with Nikolai. As, <laughs> as, as someone who watches movies for the opportunity to say like they don't even realize how gay they're being. <laughs> that I was, I, I I definitely had the tables turned on me by this one when I when I realized late in the game that they they knew exactly how gay they were being. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. I mean, and it's it's handled so sensitively. Like, uh, Kirill is never, you know, shamed, and he's never yeah. punished for uh, except by the villains. He's right. He's, yeah, his his own family really. Yeah, are, the, the narrative is never against him for that. Yeah, for that part um, of it. And, and it also yeah. it also works out so well for Viggo Mortensen's character. What's his name in the film? Nikolai. Nikolai. It's like he could not have picked a better way in. Yeah. Because one, it's the yeah. son of the the king, yeah. the the godfather, yeah. but also this guy is in love with him and mm. very clearly gay my, <laughs> by the end of it. My favorite read, and I've, I've been thinking about this all day. My favorite read on this, uh, on this story is that Viggo Mortensen and, you know, I, I would read this into it, but Viggo Mortensen is a bi man who looks, uh, who, who looks on, uh, uh, Kirill. Yeah. Kirill uh, with, um, with like a, a great deal of mercy and compassion mm-hmm. coming from a place of just absolute empathy. And mm. while not into him, because Kirill is kind of a, kind of a fuck up. I can yeah. See how, he's how, a, he's a real dope. Yeah. I, I could see how Viggo Mortensen, even a fully gay Viggo Mortensen would not really be, this would not be his cup of tea. He mm-hmm. definitely, he, he treats him so sensitively. And so yeah. like, it, it just seems I, like he's, he, he wants him to follow him a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, come with I me. Mean, I, I can show you how the world mm-hmm. gets better. It's yeah. true. I mean, and I, that's that's the big marker for me for Viggo Mortensen's character. He's a character in a gangster film that only acts out of compassion. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene like maybe a probably like ha- like half ish way through the film, maybe a quarter of the way or something, uh, where there where Kirill and Nikolai are at a uh, at a whorehouse um, that Kirill's father Semyon runs, um, and Kirill forces. Uh, 
Nikolai to have sex with a prostitute in front of him to prove that he's no fucking queer, right? Yeah. Like, which is which is kind of your first your first real hint that like this movie has anything to do with queerness at all. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's the ass slap with uh, when he's like uh, processing the dead body earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah. But there, yes, yeah, so they set up this this awesome motif of like yeah. men men touching and why because the the movie calling attention to queerness in general. Mm-hmm. Calling, even even acknowledging it, which is surprisingly rare in film, right? Yeah, and rarer, rarest yeah. in uh, Ga- gangster yeah. films. Yeah, I mean, Sopranos does it, but Sopranos is fucking brilliant anyway. Uh, but yeah, so they're at this. Uh, so so Kirill's forcing Nikolai to have sex with the prostitute in front of him, um, and he does. Uh, but there's this after scene where you see the woman like. You know, she's posed on a bed, but it's not... She's naked, but it's not really, like, an objectifying view. I mean, it's really showcasing, like, her humanity and vulnerability. And she's just singing in Russian. And then uh, Nikolai's getting dressed and asks her what her name is, presses for her last name, asks what where she's from, what village she's from. And then he sort of, like, furtively looks over his shoulder, pulls out a wad of bills, and says, stay alive a little longer. And it, it kind of gets to me every time. It's like it's in the middle of all this like brutal, fucked up shit. And, it, and you, he's this like, is your, "This is your first real indicator that he's there to to try to help someone." Yep. Uh, and he he's not he's not just giving her money and saying like, "Try to stay alive." He's he's giving her hope. He's saying, "Stay yeah. alive a little longer. Like help is on the way." Yeah, and he I'm, like I'm yeah, and he, he throws down an icon like yeah. a Russian Orthodox icon, and yeah. you see him like flipping like prayer beads or something a lot and so i mean it's like this yeah i will contend that i also found that to be one of the most or maybe the most problematic scenes in the movie i think that it doesn't it doesn't treat that woman very well uh kind of which which makes sense given that it's a a gangster film Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely i'm i think that more discussion went into like how do we want to handle the the scene where we don't treat a woman very well uh, probably much more thoughtfully than most gangster yeah. movies. I mean, but, but the I, whole thing is the whole thing is framed on victimhood. Like you know, a the you know there the whole struggle is over this diary of a dead prostitute, uh, like a underage fourteen year old prostitute who died in childbirth. Like, and her voice quite literally haunts every character in this film. I so so there's yeah. there's a difference between how even how a story treats a, a, a character and how a movie does and the the way that that shot just in the absolute most degrading fashion to the woman uh it, it it definitely i don't think the movie would have lost very much by shooting it in a way that was just more more exposure and more degrading to the man or just less exposure and less degrading I mean, yeah to that's the woman. i mean before uh, i th- i think that they were probably doing this on purpose i think they were trying to go for a point with yeah but they, I, I just i even I actually really liked this movie. I, I I think highly of it, but I don't know that they they earned that level of like, this was worth it. I I didn't see yeah. that. I, I think it was too. It, I I doubt that very many women had very much say in how that scene went down. But yeah, okay. So the fight scene. So the gangster whose throat was slit in the opening shot. Uh, his brothers come to London to kill Kirill because Kirill ordered the hit because that guy was spreading rumors that Kirill was a, a queer, uh, which is bad apparently 
in the Russian mob. Uh, <laughs> I, a queer, had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, in uh, so Semyon, the main Russian mobster who does all the bad things, uh, he he has Nikolai promoted. Uh, you know, gives him the like cool ass like naval star tattoos that signify uh, Nikolai's a captain. But the whole point is to um, have him be Kirill because these guys, you know, these assassins don't know what Kirill looks like. Uh, so the hit takes place. Uh, they lure Nikolai into a uh, Turkish bathhouse in London. And uh, this the Turkish barber that held, helped out with the hit, like, points out... Uh, Nikolai and says that's Kirill you will see his tattoos and these guys go in fully clothed and have like fucking clam shucking knives or to like just these like really fucked up curved little knives to like destroy him so yeah Viggo Mortensen is buck ass naked <laughs> in a, like he's got he's taken the towel from around his waist and draped it over his shoulders it's, and these guys come up they, and so like the, the gamut of the scene is and if you if you haven't seen these movies and you're you're just cool with spoiling them like maybe maybe just skip 10 minutes cuz like this well, is Well, I mean, cool I think we've already like spoiled. I mean, we've already kind of spoiled but like the twist in this, Eastern Promises. This but... is just this is one you're going to want to Yeah. I I I think like the sheer visceral power of this movie like if I explain the plot to you like this movie's still going to have yeah. an effect on you because it's I I just mean because so that the fight scene is like this this Christ and rebirth styled uh, symbolism, uh, just uh, mosaic. It's just beautiful this way, where you he he has the sh- what's it called the shroud of Tarin. Right. The, like he he, <laughs> start, he starts of off with this this beautiful shroud over his head of the towel, and slowly, nudely, he's he's cut on his side and stabbed yeah. and mm-hmm. laying out, and and then uh, crawls up out of the wreckage. Uh, only uh, to, to be forced to like fight again. It's just it's just this yeah the this very pure uh, death death and resurrection story with a with a baptism in for uh, yeah. shits and giggles and uh, yeah. also you see Viggo Mortensen's dinger a whole bunch oh yeah uh, a lot a lot of dongus yeah <laughs> Josh was uh, grace uh, gracefully yelling it out every time we watched it last dinger dinger. Dinger. Good dinger. dinger. Good dinger. <laughs> Hashtag good dinger. Um, it's yeah. It's such a moment of not a. I mean, it's a scene of vulnerability and um, like literal nakedness. Like yeah. Like I he mean, has just nothing. Desperation. He's, he's clad in tattoos. Right. I mean, all he has mm-hmm. are these like symbols, and then these guys are coming at him with knives. He takes like all these wounds, but then like. Yeah, like, one guy gets stabbed, like, he sort of misdirect redirects the guy's knife into his own brother's, like, chest, so one guy's down for the count, and then he's, like, fighting the other guy, and then, like, instead of, like, he's got the guy, like, he holds the guy's head up off, like, he's on top, and he's got the guy's head up, and he, like, reaches for the knife and places it beneath the dude's, like, neck, like, head area. Just, yeah, just slams the dude's gut onto the knife. At this point in the movie, I 
I'm, I'm literally realizing this now. I think it, it's taken me at least this long to, to process. At this point in the movie, you don't really want any of these people to kill each other, <laughs> which is a really incredible thing for a gangster movie to achieve. It's it's like mm-hmm. if if uh, Neo and Trinity walked into the airport and they were with with guns, lots of guns, and you were like, no, 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 don't shoot those guys. Right. And like you didn't want anybody to. You just don't. You don't really want anybody to get hurt. You as gratifying as this pent-up aggressive violence is you you would rather that they not fight yeah right now the it's just it's so savage and so yeah unnecessary right and it's but it's interesting so like the just because those the two brothers of uh soika are are so brutal because we saw them earlier cut the throat of the nephew that cut yeah azim's nephew who cut Soika's throat in the first scene of the fucking movie um like they do the same thing to him after he's coming out of a soccer game and pissing on a headstone in a cemetery <laughs> uh, so you know we've just established these characters as already just fucking brutal yeah. and then we get to see Vigo triumph but then ultimately I think take the more compassionate route in dealing with the main villains of the film yeah. Kirill and Semyon um, because he, you know, uses their own foibles against them because he is, well, so, I mean, spoiler alert, the main twist of the movie is that Nikolai is a cop. He's an and FSB undercover agent working in London. <laughs> and, yeah, manages manages to, like, outthink and self-sacrifice enough to reach, essentially, like, the optimal resolution for everything that goes down. Yep, uh, is able to, yeah, turn Kirill against his own father by, like, indulging this love Kirill also, you know, really does have for Nikolai, and then um, using, like, the DNA evidence, like, uh, so the baby, uh, it turns out, uh, the baby that was born at the beginning of the movie is the product of a rape between Semyon and uh, the girl who died in the beginning, whose diary it is, and so <laughs> he's able to... Uh, get the london police to like draw some blood from semyon and then arrest him for statutory rape yeah. so he can be the 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 boss of the london uh the london organization for the fsb like, oh man um yeah uh maybe we should go to the hunt like yeah, like, like what, is, what does the hunt have to say about masculinity and sexuality so what i was gonna say a minute ago and what still works at this moment is that the, the, the this movie centers around or the the trajectory of this movie takes off from, from the death of Tatiana. That's her name. Yep. From her death, from the giving birth to this young baby, who's Simeon's biological child. Mm-hmm. And, the birth was, uh, the child was conceived, in a moment of of rape of sexual abuse, of hyper masculinity of violent right violent toxic masculinity where Kirill Kirill is attempting to um rape, rape her. her and is like being fought off by Tatiana and then Simeon comes down and like sh- and he like quote like he, shows he, his, he can't get it up right yeah the, he just can't Kirill think, can't yeah, yeah he, he can't he, couldn't do it so so what I'm saying is it's this moment of violent abusive masculinity of of Simeon 
trying to display to his son, trying to prove to his mm-hmm. son, trying to show his son, quote, like how to be a man or how to. And so I think the pivot to talking about the hunt is that if we want to talk about this theme of masculinity, which is a direct connection to the hashtag peens on screens, mm-hmm. it's like the hunt shows. So I'm just going to pivot and talk about it and make my make my claim for why it's a decent movie. Because I know Wes hates it. It's awkward sitting here because I'm just like sit up, sitting on all this pent up. Wes is seething right now. <laughs> intellectual frustration right now. It's like two lovers who haven't seen each other in a long time, but it's about a movie and yeah. we're just going to talk about it. But we're just friends. All right, so, so get into it, man. So the... The, the transition to the hunt is that it's about it's also about masculinity in a, in a different kind of way though so my argument is that uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character which is what's his name again Lucas uh, Lucas Lucas yeah is is a, a really gentle portrayal of masculinity um, and I mean I'll lay all my cards out on the table like Wes and I are going to get into it so obviously I need to need to say it but um the scenes that they show of him early in the movie of playing with the kids working at a kindergarten like i worked at a kindergarten um or worked with with kindergarten children uh at a couple different points in my life and for the longest duration over a, a course of a whole school year i was a classroom aide with mostly kindergarten students and like it's rare for men to be in elementary schools in general mm-hmm. it's even for rare sure. for men to be working with young kids like you might have like a like at the squads at the fifth and sixth grade teachers were both men and the rest of the grade school teachers were women yeah. mm-hmm. and like it was rare for me to be i mean i guess as like an, an aide it's less rare you know whatever mm-hmm. but like that's rare and so like they're showing this this man who was a high school teacher and then lost his job because the high school closed and the reviews I read said it was like economic issues in the town or whatever. Right, so right. High school folds. The kids have to bus somewhere else. He ends up being this classroom maid, and like, he's he's like, roughhousing with the boys or whatever. But he's like this gentle portrayal of like just being around kids and just yeah. being like. And I, I think an interesting thing to point out is uh, you know this is Mad Mickelson starring in a like, uh, for. English audiences especially like he's mostly cast as villains in the U.S. Yeah. Like he was Le Chief in Casino Royale, which and he which was he played kind Han- of a shout out in the in uh, the hunt, which yeah, is kind of cool. Um, and then he's Hannibal Lecter in the the fucking NBC Hannibal series, which right. you guys need to see because it's yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it it's really great to see him in like more or less the hero or protagonist role and being a kind gentle man for the most part so yeah he is a kind gentle man i he's definitely the protagonist he's maybe not the hero i it sucks to have to attack this movie because i i think that what caleb would drew you to it is that like this was some some writer who was may i have to assume whoever wrote this movie was like going through a bad divorce or let me or, let me get yeah, more into go, it yeah and let ahead. me get more context too so if you want to know about the writer um as josh said it was thomas vinterberg mm-hmm. and this came out i think in 2012 yeah or 2013 
Um, I think. Okay, so Thomas Vinterberg's first film was this film called The Celebration, which came out in 1998, and it's about a family that comes together for their father's 60th birthday party. Mm-hmm. And did you know this, Josh? Uh, vaguely. Okay, yes. and so um, they come together for the 60th birthday party. Several of them are alcoholics. They're all getting very drunk. And one of the sons goes to give a toast and says, my father raped me as a child and, or, or like raped multi- several of us as a child. Maybe it was just him and his sister. Anyway, like just calls out this abuse that nobody in the family had spoken of up to this point in their lives. And the rest of the film is the unraveling, like the father tries to deny it. The mother tries to deny it. Um, the, the, the son gives like another toast and, and says it multiple times to the point that they can't avoid talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then other people are revealing things and like all the shit starts to hit the fan. And so, um, I'm going to read this part of the, the film review because I think it will give some context of where the writer's coming from, but then I'll give my defense of the hunt at the birthday banquet. Christian wraps his spoon against a glass and rises to calmly accuse his father of having raped his children. The gathering tries to ignore these remarks. Helen says they're not true. In the kitchen, the drunken chef gleefully observes that he has been waiting for this day for a long time and dispatches his waitresses to steal everyone's car keys for their, from their room so they won't be able to escape. Um, so the, the evening spins down into a long night of revelation and accusation. The father at first tries to ignore his son's performance. The mother demands an apology, only to have Christian remind her that she witnessed her husband raping him. Helen's boyfriend, an African-American anthropologist, arrives late and is the target of Michael's drunken racist comments. The family joins in a racist Danish song. A servant accuses a family member of having impregnated her. She had an abortion but still loves him, and on and on, including fights and scuffles, and an interlude when Christian is tied to a tree in the woods. So that's his first film. So when I read that, it was interesting because it it, it gave me a little bit more like weight to the fact that like this this writer is not afraid to talk about one like child molestation child abuse sexual abuse like he's not he's not trying to tip tiptoe around it and what i really respect about what the way i interpret the hunt to be uh showing the the film is that um what, what i really respect is that it's not trying to do a gotcha thing or a tiptoe around it kind of thing or or like a or a kind of hypothetical like well, what if, what if, what if a guy was falsely accused? I, I don't see it as trying to tell that story, and here's why: because they they make it so clear that to me, it's a story about childhood. So Vinterberg was uh, approached shortly after this film came out by a child psychologist who basically pitched this idea to him for the hunt, and he he didn't do it for a while, and then he like fell on some hard times or something and got depressed, and was like. Uh, called up the child psychologist again and was like, or like looked through his notes. Well, I mean, I think the thing was like, uh, the movie he did before The Hunt was like a total flop. That's right. He had yeah. a couple flops. Yeah. And I think he was like actually depressed, wanted to talk to this psychologist for his own reasons, looked at his notes and was like, oh, holy shit, we've got a film here and started writing The Hunt or wrote The Hunt. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, it, so it, it was like proposed by a child psychologist, but I really think it's a, a powerful. De- portrayal of childhood more than it is a try a, a kind of like gotcha what if like what if people yeah. who are accused of sexual assault are actually innocent and let me let me make the claim that everything that they show in the first 20 30 minutes of the film makes it very clear to the viewer that this child has been hurt 
and is just and is simply saying something that she knows to be taboo to get back at um, at Lucas, mm. uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character. Right, because there's a yeah yeah the, they uh, they set it up where that like her she's yeah she well yeah Lucas is in the the pillow room wrestling with the boys and then Clara like obviously is infatuated with him mm-hmm. and kisses him on the lips mm-hmm. and it's and he very gently afterwards says you know you shouldn't do this with anybody but your mom or dad you know and like, at the in the same conversation it basically implored her to give away the gift she had given him because it was a heart oh yeah that yeah he's like i think you need to give it to one of the boys and she's like i i didn't i don't know what you're talking about right yeah. and he's like you your name's on it and she's like i don't know what you're talking about and and he says well if it's from one of the boys and they're playing a joke maybe you should give it back to them and then he tries to just go along with her but i think every moment along that first like 30 minutes of the film shows this child who's really intelligent and really really well equipped to like navigate lying and truth telling and like and she's dealing with shame and hurt and her parents are fighting at home and she's like looking so anyway i think i think it does a great job of that the so the the efficacy of clara is is something i take great issue with and the uh the portrayal of Mads Mikkelsen is something I take great issue with. He's he's written as... He, it, it seems like the movie starts with how do we make the story and then and resolves to, well, what if we make a man who's perfect? Uh, because Mads Mikkelsen's character in that movie doesn't have any flaws. He's he's not a real character because we don't see anything wrong with him. Uh, and I, I, I think just from a simple storytelling perspective, that's already bad filmmaking. You don't think uh, him kicking his girlfriend out of the house is... Uh, the the I I think that, but the movie doesn't think so because she still wants to be with him as he physically throws her out of the house, uh, which is which is super aggravating to me for a number of reasons. Okay, okay. but uh, they still show it on screen though. Right, they they show her saying, "What are you doing? Why are you kicking me out? I I want to be in love with you. I, I I didn't mean it. I I I love you, baby." As he physically abuses her, the 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 movie doesn't think he's wrong. Only only the the viewers do. The, I mean, but kind of like a valid. But keep making your point. I was yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was just pushing back too soon. The uh, the the little girl has uh, incredible intelligence, incredible agency. Whenever the movie calls for it, and is just is like horror movie silent for the rest of it, which is super aggravating because it's it's inconsistent. And explain. So, uh, uh, Clara, you shouldn't have done this. Oh, I'm I'm. I, it wasn't me. Uh, well, okay. Well, then here here's some solutions to to how how we can write this problem. Uh, you're lying. It wasn't me. The uh, shows a smart child with a lot of efficacy, a lot of agency. Uh, so the the one of the first portrayals of Clara is a smart child with a lot of efficacy and a lot of agency, and uh, the 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 more she goes out of her way to. Uh, her, her character is just very inconsistent. It's it's very very clearly uh, used as a plot point to. I fully disagree. Make, make, make I couldn't happen. disagree more. Because she she recants very quickly. Yeah. Uh, she she almost immediately starts saying it was just something stupid that I said. It it wasn't which which means she was aware all along. Like she's 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 yeah. given more agency than any of the characters in the movie give her, which is which is a absolutely a a tool of filmmaking it makes total sense it's just used so 
how is that not accurate to childhood though? It's it's accurate ish to childhood. It's just used too conveniently. It's but it, that is it like it only fits the movie's purposes, and the movie's purposes are so specific that it stops making sense as a real like. If this kid is this smart, it doesn't make sure that she's doing. It doesn't make sense that she's doing this right now. But what do you what doing what the if if this kid is this smart, it doesn't make sense that she's letting things get to this point. It doesn't make sense that she's uh, hurting this person, falsely accusing this person, denying this thing. What? So it. Let me stop you there because. So, what she's doing, or what we talked about at the top of the recording is that she recognizes and she has context for seeing an erect penis mm-hmm. as taboo or inappropriate or like something to be ashamed of. She, she like like Josh said it, it's it's read it's, as bad, you know. The and she she uses that in a in a very believable way. Yeah. But the there's uh, Clara has long scenes where her parents and Greta, uh, the the older teacher who's yeah. framed as a villain uh, interrogate her about what happened, and the and Greta brings in a, a child older, psychologist, a, a child psychologist yeah. who helps yeah. with that too, and or pseudo, I, he's like a pseudo expert. Yeah, he's like a friend, uh, and and Clara handles all of these situations extremely poorly, and then handles the ensuing situations extremely maturely. It creates okay. a discord between. But Wes, that is so realistic, and here's why: that is, that is like, I, again, I don't. I don't want to say the movie's without flaws. I don't want to say that we can't critique it and we can't get into all that. But like, but like, adulthood and childhood works like that. Where the the scene where Greta, especially the kindergarten teacher, brings in the child psychologist or like so so called expert to have this discussion, it it becomes so quickly. I I actually think it's a great scene. Yeah. Where, the where where he he puts a lot of words in her mouth. Oh, every word in her. Yeah. Everything is a leading question. Uh, it it so quickly moves from uh, open questions of tell us what happened, yeah. tell us how you're feeling, tell us because they quickly realize she doesn't want to talk, whatever, and they make they make these assumptions very quickly. Which, again, it's not wrong to make these assumptions, but the way they handle every part of that process is so her, so poor. But her, so I I want to come back to this as well. But her her interactions later in the movie uh, are are uncharacteristically mature she's she handles later parts of the movie as as too old for how young she is in those parts of the movie like what uh when she is like squaring off with the with mads mickelson's son when she is squaring off well the uh the the part where where uh mads mickelson's son goes to and says why did you lie or why are you lying about i mean which i I, and all she says is i'm not lying when when I mean well, I mean as, I think the focus she... of that thing is like uh, I mean, just to super interject yeah. on this right Please. now, um, I don't like I, I mean I shouldn't be defending this movie because it is Caleb's movie and I am sworn <laughs> to defeat him until the end of time, <laughs> yes. uh, nice. but I don't, a, a big thing for this movie is a, a couple scenes and one of them definitely is uh, Lucas's son going to the house and asking why did you say these things about my father but then it's spiraling into the point where he actually spits on clara he assaults assaults clara Mm -hmm. um there's that and then there's uh the scene at the end of the movie where torsten the older brother who is basically the villain of the film like 
sort of uh, leers at Mads Mikkelsen as, you know, supposedly everything's gone okay, and but then that last scene of the film is somebody shooting a rifle at Lucas in the woods mm-hmm. during the hunt, mm-hmm. which I always interpret it as, as Torsten, even though the face of the assailant is never shown. Oh, but, I mean, I think a big thing sense. is, like, even though the uh, the fathers are able to reconcile after, you know, the, the Christmas scene, um, mm. there's this trauma has been passed on to the sons, and they haven't let go of it yet. I, I really think the point of the movie is there is just a disease in mascu- masculinity or the way like that town perpetuates masculinity through rituals. I, I don't think that that's the point of the movie. And I'm, I'm really, I, I guess I'm hoping to be wrong here. I, I'm, I'm going to try to be open to being proven wrong, but I've got a very set, obviously I've got a very set opinion of the movie. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that it's counter masculinity at all. The way that it's, the way that it's portrayed. I, I think that, uh, the the true theme of the movie, I think the theme that they want you to walk away from is that all of this could be solved if, if two men would just sit down and talk all the world's problems out. And I, I find that theme or that uh, moral so disheartening. And you so, said it, that the movie's trying to say if, if two men could just sit down and talk about it? Uh, and and my, my evidence for that, uh, if you look at the church scene, where the where Mads Mikkelsen confronts his best friend in the church and the uh, the uh, best friends what's the best friend's name? Forgot. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all right. It we didn't look it up. Uh, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen confronts his best friend in the church. Uh, the the best friend's wife slaps him on the back uh, completely helplessly as he just like looms across her, just completely erases her as a person while he looks into his best friend's eyes. He's like, look at my eyes. You know, I'm telling the truth. And at that point, it doesn't matter that he's telling the truth. He's he's already he's crossing so many other lines. And the and Theo the or Theo. The, Theo. Theo. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the wife is Agnes. Mm-hmm. Um. He he's already crossing so many lines here that this should have made him the villain of the movie. But instead, it's the thing that it's the redemption point. It's the thing that makes Theo agree to hear him out. And then. They, they get rid of the wives. Theo says, you know, Theo has a, a confrontation scene with his wife, his own wife, where he says, get out of my way. I'm going to talk to my friend. Get out of my way. And I don't know, but there's a scene where he goes into Clara's bedroom and Clara says, I, you know, he asks her directly, or like, she has those, uh, like, she thinks she sees um, Lucas's dog, who was killed, by the way. Fanny. The dog got Fanny. Sorry, two movies in a row. I'm sorry. Dog death. Yeah. Dog death. Yeah. Dog yeah. murder. Two 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 movies in a row. For I'm what? Was, oh, the which, lobster. The, the lobster. lobster. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. How did I forget that? That's yeah. like man. Two, two. Yeah. Uh. So Caleb's into dog murder, which is <laughs> whoa, why whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. I am <laughs> the eternal winner, and we should <laughs> cast uh, Caleb the dog killer. Caleb, Caleb to the depths. I'm I'm much less upset about the dog murder in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it was no. Oh, uh, Fanny was yeah. Fanny was an innocent victim and did not deserve that <laughs> at all. So were all the women in the film. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'd rather see Lucas dead than Fanny. I mean, I'll say that. Yeah, I'll take that. So a guy falsely accused of child molestation is not a victim of this he's movie. absolutely not the victim of this movie which is make what's your, so fucking frustrating for it make your argument the, <laughs> so the the little girl 
traumatized by uh, hardcore pornography by a, a conscienceless teenager is definitely the victim of the movie. Sure. Yeah. The the fact that the movie frames Mads Mikkelsen as the victim is fucking infuriating, and the fact that it frames the the creepy teenager as a force of nature rather than a villain is doubly infuriating. He, th- this is a story about a little girl who is traumatized by her brother. Uh, it's it's completely it's never disambiguated. It's always up in the air whether this guy whether this brother has done more or worse to her. And the the way the movie is shot really implies that this girl is not mentally sound for legitimate reasons, which which makes us wonder what exactly is the relationship between the brother and the sister? How how far has this gone? How much worse could it get? I don't think that's what the movie's trying to do at all. I I agree. I don't think it realizes that this is what it's doing. I, I think, think that you, I, I think that, you're misinterpreting the girl so much. I don't think so. Well, I do. As somebody who has worked with children and stud and like actually read scholarship on like children. I mean, I'm like, gonna, I'm just going to push back and say like I think you're misinterpreting who this girl is. I I I think that or who she's portrayed to be. I think that the counter argument there is that is the way that the the film is portrayed, the way that the uh the the way that she's shot as a, a horror movie character really is is she's not though. she's absolutely she absolutely is there's, she's shot as a as a kid no she's there's this constant dark sullen silent close-ups on her face where she does she has a an adorable nose twitch that they they loved to capitalize on and this this could be a combination of factors it could be that the director was like man this girl like twitches her nose when we when we zoom the camera in on her like this is this is gold we're we're making movies here uh like we're, we're we've got a cute little girl like uh tweak that we can we can make a great movie out of but when they when they do these long long shots on this girl's face it's it's intentionally creepy she's she's filmed as a, a monster in a in a horror film there's a no, she's not. There's a there's a couple I'm, of scenes. I'm gonna say I didn't pick up on that. She's filmed, either. Okay, I'm, I'll I'll give you. I the believe light. that you didn't pick up on it, but there's a couple of scenes where they where they. I'll give you the lighting in the in in the teacher's office when she first accuses Lucas of showing his penis to her. Like it's like in t- the the lights are off and she's like sitting in the teacher's desk chair. She's and that's really creepy. She's and she's like always creepy little girl. Intentionally ominous, but in other scenes she's not. Like she's portrayed as a little girl who's really smart and also like doesn't like to step on the lines on I mean, on the floor right. I mean like cuz you've got the a normal kid yeah, thing or it's like a, a particular like it's a it's a work. heavy-handed piece of symbolism it's a sure. it's a but that that's, I mean, that's I think, childhood I mean I think it does portray like a, a uh you know those scenes where where you know Clara's lost at the supermarket and I forgot I forgot how to get home and Lucas is like all right I, I mean I think it portrays a like a a very holistic um relationship between adults and children and i think lucas really embodies that in the in the early parts of the film and it and it breaks down because of the there there are scenes in this movie where it specifically is that where it shows mads mickelson and his best friend hugging and in the background a, a woman is walking forward and the it's it's shot so that the background is blurry so you don't know who's walking forward and with a distortion on the uh on the vantage point which makes it so that you can't tell whether uh, a a fully grown woman or clara is walking up 
which is exactly a trope out of a horror movie. Uh, there are shots in this movie where uh, Clara is led to the to the front of the children's choir to to be sort of presented to the church in kind of like a, a social like everybody knows what's going on like let's let's keep our eyes on this child type of way. There, the the way that this this little girl is weaponized by characters in the movie and by the people who make the movie is so. Uh, let me let me back up for a little bit and just talk about like the the reasons the reasons why I don't think that I'm grasping at straws here. So the movie is full of ways to hate and diss on women that are are sort of secretly embedded in. Uh, Josh seems to think jo- Josh has some reasonable arguments for uh, these things being uh, intentional and that the movie is self aware. I don't think that's the case. I, I think that they, they made the movie they set out to make, which really frustrates me. Uh, there, are, there are points where the, the act one climax, the beginning of act two, is the, the son, Marcus, comes to live with Lucas, Maz Mikkels, Maz Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Lucas says to Marcus, uh, and if your mom flares up, and he winks and says, I'll handle her. Mm-hmm. And the movie's full of these moments where, I mean, where men yeah, decide uh, to put women in their place and proceed to do so and, mm-hmm. and are lauded for it. Mm-hmm. The, there's, there's the point where Lucas just, uh, I talked about in the church, he looms over the woman and she slaps him on the back and, and he, he just finally gets to engage in civil discourse with, the, with his best friend and that's what solves all the movie's problems. That's the climax of the movie. That's, in that's the church? In the church. When he punches him in the face? Doesn't he, like punches. He he throws a he throws a, a book at him and and causes him to finally have a conversation with him, oh. and when they finally have a conversation, that's the end of the movie. the The next scene is the denouement, and it, that with the implication being, if two men would just sit down and have a conversation about all this, we could clear it all up. And I, I think you're picking up on legitimate. Um, I think you're making legitimate criticism about I mean, I, Thomas I, Vinterberg. I, I, yeah, Thomas. I, I will say, yeah. like, this is a very weird story to watch post, like, Me Too movement. Um, yeah, and we need like, to get into that. But yeah. I, just to just to finish, I think Wes is like, that's a fair criticism of the writer. Like, I think in the celebration in that review I was reading, uh, one of the families is driving to the birthday party, and they notice. It's like one of the family members, like one of the men is driving with his wife and kids and there's like another man walking and he actually forces the wife wife and kids to get out of the car and walk and like gives this other guy a ride to the birthday party. So that was in this other guy's film. So I think that's like a legit criticism of the writer is that he's probably misogynistic. Oh yeah. And definitely doesn't have a problem putting this on film of these men like feeling dominant over women mm-hmm. or, or even being physically yeah, this, I, or I, emotionally I, dominant. I can't be convinced that this wasn't that, that anybody thought like there's a way to do this, which isn't sexist. I, I can't believe that anybody thought like, Oh, you know, this is, this is double ironic. Like we're, we're doubling down. There's, there's a way to read this where it's okay. I think that, I think yeah. that everybody who worked on this movie just kind of was not into women but here's my here's my argument for the whole movie that everybody is doing exactly like you love to say this everybody in the movie is doing exactly what they should be doing or like 
what they would be doing. That's 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 what the movie leans too heavily on. How does it lean be- too heavily? Because because the protagonist doesn't have any flaws. He does though. You're pointing them out right now. Even uh, if you don't think the filmmaker thinks that. Right. That's that's too deep. He the you're as a writer, you're obligated to give your protagonist flaws if they're going to be a, a real character in a movie. Can you think of another character in that movie who is flawless? Yeah, that's that's what I was about to say. Uh, the girl. Um, what's her? Clara. Clara, yeah. That's what I was about to yeah, say. Yeah, she's Clara. a kid. That's the whole fucking point. I don't think that's the point of the movie. No, that's what I'm saying is the point. That's what we get. The movie gives us that Clara is acting exactly as a, as a child would act. And Lucas is acting exactly as, as he might act in, in what is like, like what he's presented with. I... I mean, I'll say, like, a, a huge thing of the movie is about adults overreacting to something that could be easily explained. Like, I mean, there is, it was a... I, I don't think Clara is acting as a child would act. I don't think she's written consistently. I, I'm telling uh, you she is. And I, I think she is, too, for the record. And you can choose not to believe that, but I'm saying the way I see the movie and the way I see her is, like, exactly how a child might act. She didn't have social context that would say, to tell her... She doesn't have the maturity or the life experience to say, if I accuse Lucas of showing that's me his penis... That's not what I mean. I don't, think she's, I don't think she's consistent from, from scene to scene. I don't think she's a well-written character. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that she's a, she's a bad character, that she's in the wrong. I think that she's poorly written. I, I, I think that the, whoever wrote her like sort of rage, ranged from ages like three to nine to, to figure out how to how that's to fucking childhood Wes that is literally <laughs> I, I, fucking childhood sometimes they act younger than they are sometimes they act older than they are you don't have yeah. a five-year-old who is consistently a five-year-old you don't have a nine-year-old you don't have a middle schooler who is consistent sometimes they want you to baby them sometimes they want you to treat them like an adult literally that is childhood I, 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 I don't think it's it's portrayed accurately here I, <laughs> we can agree to disagree uh, yeah I, and that like that that I, makes me feel better about the framing of the movie, because I thought you were gonna say like, oh, it's like the story of, of what if the accuser, or what if the falsely accused man, what if the accused man is actually innocent, and like that's this bigger yeah, story. There, and this is not a story we need to tell. I think everybody kind of knows that. I don't. Yeah. I, I think everybody here knows that. I, I don't yeah, know that. yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's a weird thing to say like, oh, this is so important. Um, after it's we know not, that uh, Harvey Weinstein was jacking off into bushes in front of Rose McGowan, um, I kind of I, I kind of got that going in and was was like ready yeah. to go in with blinders. But this is a movie that hates women. This is a this is a movie made by someone who does not think highly of women. That really really. I mean, I think it'll. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, my, my yeah yeah. I mean, I and I think yeah. You definitely have ample. I, I think you're picking up on a lot of stuff that is like. Super I valid. I think I I'm mean, picking I up just... on more stuff than the director knows about how much he hates women. I mean, that's fair. I I, uh... I, I couldn't believe the. If your mother flares up, I'll talk to her. But also, the... I'm just gonna defend the writing again. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect. But like, also, this is a portrayal of like real life humans who are flawed. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's psychologically accurate. Um, from the child, like, um. Because I, I, I think, like, there, there's something traumatic about seeing um, that sexual explicit inner, inner, um, imagery at that age, but there there is a a world in which that can be, like, context, contextualized and explained. 
um, there's a way in which you can explain to a five-year-old what sexuality is and why these things are, why you shouldn't see those things, but why this is not fundamentally a bad thing that you're seeing mm -hmm. image-wise. Um, and I, I mean, I think just the fact that Clara does not have that context, but she just kind of knows it's bad. I, I feel like, yeah, she's invoking something because she was angry and it's a very base anger like she was rejected by somebody she's like she likes because she does not understand that, that relationship is inappropriate and i think that's something very real with yeah um with children with you know we we're, we're trying to sort out romantic attachments and we don't yeah, there's a lot to realize. I mean, there's there's just a lot of feelings you're assaulted with that you don't know how to process and you don't know the rules for. Yeah. And I think Lucas handles that very well. Um, and I think I, I mean I think the teacher handles that like as she's supposed to. But it is about that like it's it's easier to believe that, um, that a man is at fault, and it's easier to run with that than it is to listen to a little girl saying, "I just made that up." Um, and so my argument is that finally yeah. she get that gets through to the dad like we can talk about the church scene as a pivotal scene I think that is and and, and the character does resort to violence and does like like come at the, the husband to, to, and totally ignores the wife again I, I'm not discrediting that I, I'm saying like He's trying to prove but, to his but, best friend. He's not best friends with the woman. He's best friends with Theo. The, the way that... This is, this is a fictional but story. Here, but here's my the, point. Here's my point. Is that Theo doesn't believe him simply because he keeps looking at him in church. He believes him because his daughter also repeatedly says, yeah. I lied. Like, I was... I, I made a mistake. I said I just, something stupid. I said something yep. stupid. The way that we... This is a fictional story. And the way that we make and the way that we tell stories is extremely important. And I, I, I understand that there are redeeming qualities to the way that the story is written, but if you, if you break down the way that the story is written as a whole, it is completely unredeemable. What I think this movie does that I think is valuable is not, is not about, um, is not about like which side of history you want to be on as much as it, it forces you to think about community and reconciliation and justice. Because I know where you're going to fall is that if he's accused, he needs to fall on the sword or something. Or he's definitely not—he's definitely not the the victim, like you would say. That this man accused of, of sexual violence is definitely not the victim. I think the grocery store scene um, is incredibly powerful because somehow they become the arbiters of justice and they put they kick him out. And like they're not—they're not denying him the the right to like buy jeans or like buy a T-shirt. They're denying him the right to buy food. And I think that becomes a really powerful signifier that, like, they are saying, like, and right, they frame it as, look, we have other customers, so we can't, you can't be seen here because it'll hurt our business. But, like, so this is, like, to boil it down, it's like a story of, like, an individualistic society who says, you have to take care of yourself, and we're not going to let, like, what kind of, what kind of community do we want to be? And, and this community is saying, you're not fit to eat, you're not fit to buy food here we're like we're going to physically harm you until you leave and i think it forces us to think about how we how we care for i was i was like i know? was super into that message i loved this this like 
untouchable scene when he walks back in and refuses to let his his presence like die refuses to to go down with the ship i was like there there might actually be some gold in this movie and then it's it's not that at all he he just he he just it, at that point it becomes like a superhero movie where he he can just headbutt people way bigger than him to death that it, it doesn't make any sense that he would want to throw that headbutt like rationally as a character surrounded by people who kind of want to kill him unless yeah I mean, it, it doesn't it, the, it makes sense headbutt... it makes sense that he might want to die but that's sort of what you're asking for there and then it doesn't make any sense that nobody confronts him once he does it it's like a I I get that but the headbutt isn't what gets him off. It's the court trial that he like had. He was I'm not saying the headbutt gets him off. I'm saying the headbutt has no no place in that movie. That's fine. It's it's. I'll agree with you. That's well, fine. But it, it's a huge part of the movie. It's it's a really important point of the movie. I'll agree with you that it's not realistic. But I'm not going to say sit here and say that people who are oppressed shouldn't ever result to violent means. He's, I don't, he's not the oppressed party in this movie. Look, it's a white dude and. I mean, but it's, it's also, it's also a, okay, okay, so so. the the deck is stacked because it is a, a ethnically homogenous culture. This is a small Danish town. We can expect them all to be, uh, white people. Um, and I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a larger context, in an American context, like if you set this movie in the South side of Chicago, it would be very different. Um, yeah, it'd be fucked up. It would be super fucked up. Uh, I think that then, I think probably the most depressed character is his best friend's wife, who his best friend likes to scream at and beat on, and we never never really get any closure on that other than it just being set building. Probably next is his own girlfriend, who he likes to physically manhandle out of his home. Uh, then probably the the little girl who got shown a really shocking traumatic image while five years old by her 17 year old brother uh definitely not the the old white dude who who likes to teach his son how much it's important to hate his wife the i I just don't have any sympathy for this fucking guy i i I actually i really like guys mickelson i really respect his performance i don't know but but this character as written is shit i mean there's there's just a uh like women can also be shitty. Like I mean, it's just uh, like right. I mean, we've, but we've got responsibilities by uh, via narrative. Yeah, and I'm 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 saying like we've we've had enough of women can also be shitty. Well, we need. I, I'm I'm not afraid to hold. Uh, you know, I've got. I, 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 this is what I was afraid of. That it, it comes off as I'm tagging you guys. I've got I've got sexist favorite movies. I'm I'm a shitty white guy too. Yeah. That I I just. We we just can't do it anymore. We we gotta we gotta push past it. We gotta touch well, them all with the this lens. Why can't the movie do both and? Like why can't the movie? Because it doesn't. It it doesn't. It's a bad. It's 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 a movie that treats women really poorly. All right. So we'll we'll move into closing arguments here. Uh, for each of them, uh, the hunt, Eastern promises. What is it doing? How does it do it? And what is the benefit? I'll quickly I'll quickly answer the hunt. Okay. What's the first question again? What is it doing? Um, just quickly, maybe no rebuttal. Sure. Um, I think it's depicting a story of, of false accusation, of, um, uh, unfortunately, of, of um, a child being sexually abused. And I think it's what it's doing is uh, 
or what are the other two questions? Because I might answer them all in one, actually. What is it? Yeah, what is it doing? How is it doing it? And what is the benefit? What is the benefit? Yeah, and I, and I think it's forced, I think the other thing is doing, it's forcing us to think about uh, what it means to have justice, what it means to have, to be in a community, to be people who live amongst one another and um, have to deal with the ways that we harm each other and the ways that um, we uh, we like deal with that harm so I mean th- those are the things that I value in the movie is that like I think it's doing those things you know like how, how do you how do you deal with this accusation but more importantly how do you deal with um, people who actually harm one another and what does that look like do you just kick them out of society forever do you put them in a cage and tell them that they can come out in 20 years um, like you know those kinds of things that are actual real issues that we're that we deal with all the all the time in in this country and in this world what are the other two questions what uh, how is it doing it and what's the benefit how's it doing it we've talked at length about that what's the benefit um, again I think the benefit is forcing us to think about some of these bigger issues and I think Wes brought up some of the same points or like in a different in a different way though like how do we treat women and how do we depict women on screen and how do we uh how are women given a voice or not given a voice how are they you know respected or not respected um how are men centered or seen as the ultimate voice or the ultimate source of reason um i think I, I don't know. I think the hunt, the benefit of the hunt is that it is another source of, of, it's just another source that pushes us to think about those things. It, again, we don't need it and we don't need to talk about this movie forever. It, it doesn't need to even, you know, yeah. be something that we like hold up as a, as a, you know, yeah. as a great example. But I think it, does. I mean, I, I think, I, I think the benefit is, is, is honestly the, uh, the differing of opinion that we have here like I mean into this but I think it's valid in the fact that Wes finds it very invalid yeah uh, I don't and know. the fact that you find it very valid I mean I think it's uh, the fact that it brings these things up I think is the benefit itself uh, for for Eastern promises what is it doing it's giving voice to the voiceless in a genre that actively sort of mutes the voiceless yeah how does it do that uh very much uh the fact that all of the characters are haunted by the disembodied by the ghost of a 14 year old prostitute who died prematurely due to the violence of these men uh, by you know having that voiceover that uh, I was born in Ukraine uh, my father worked in the mines uh, he was killed there buried already just as we were all buried under the soil of Russia uh, which is another you know very very interesting undertone that uh, pre-soviet and post-soviet view of russia where i mean historically uh basically once the soviet system collapsed uh basically throughout the whole 90s the 
the Russian system was run by the Russian mob, like, logistically. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's there's just some real poetic justice there. Um, so they're all very literally haunted by this, by the words and the voice of this woman. So give us the, uh, the benefit. The benefit? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically uh unromanticizing and unglamorizing the whole uh mafia thing it's through various avenues the the voice of of the dead woman as well as kirill's sexuality i think very are very effective in undermining um the integrity of the sort of mob ethos that we are conditioned to see as honorable and it, it just subverts those in the favor of a a man who is actively trying to dismantle that whole system and a woman who is trying to save a single life from yeah. that system. I think that it I think that it falls short of being a specifically celebratorily gay movie. Uh, but watch the movie and and decide at the beginning that Viggo Mortensen is bisexual and you'll you'll really have a great time shit man again a a very brutal and violent movie that is ultimately about humanity and compassion and that is why I return to it uh a lot so this has been a fraud episode uh, <laughs> they probably won't all be fraught um i think that i think that we knew going in i think that we no gooing in what's it I think that we gnaw gwowing in we now gwowing in I think that we now gwowing in now gwowing in I think I, I think that we knew going in that this was going to be a, a an episode where we we called it for Eastern Promises uh, Josh has a lot of editing on his plate um, <laughs> yeah based on the timestamp. stamp uh, the, so I, I I do I do award the win to Eastern Promises as the as the points master um, I, we are the champions, I, my friend. Now, now, and we'll keep on fighting, we'll keep on fighting till, the, till, the, till the end. One thing that we know for sure is there's a there's a fundamental disconnect between uh, w- what I'm into as a judge and uh, uh, the 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 hunt, and I. I, I one one cool thing that we can we can draw from this is like we're going to calibrate more if we keep the structure up where we're gonna get uh closer and closer to how do we how do we pick movies that Wes is gonna be into until eventually <laughs> every single podcast is gonna be the prestige versus second hand lions <laughs> and the the two are just gonna alternate how, how more and more how these two movies <laughs> affect the uh, effect I mean, uh, right. I'm not going to complain. I, I won. I thought I was going to win the first one through my my sheer charisma, but the point is, uh, Anchorman 2 was just not that good of a movie. Um, but this time, I fucking won, people. Uh, and honestly, you know, if it comes down to sheer charisma, it, it was... I, I think that first episode, all you know, fell to Caleb in that light, too. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Josh. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree there. Okay. <laughs> we are the My friend. friend. That's a rack em up. That's a one in either corner. 
Uh, yeah, uh, we'll next, have the uh, uh, next podcast. We will have a tiebreaker. After that, we will yep. have a tie. Uh, that, a tiebreaker. Hey, After that, hey. we will have a tie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I think uh, I think we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna RNG our our next theme. But uh, at this point, uh, you the listeners, um, we want themes from you. We have like we have a good pool of like stuff we came up with. But uh, don't don't send us the word pimbo. Everybody keeps sending us the word pimbo, and we, we don't don't just don't just type p i m b o and send it to us like it's anything because it's not anything. It's not even a word. But but no no we want uh. Just click enter, man. No, I have to type it all out. That's the only way it works. Please leave this part. Please don't edit this. I, part. I really like this. <laughs> um. Docs.google.com. Yeah. So we've got the Odd Splice Twitter account. It's just at Odd Splice. You should be able to find it pretty easy. Uh, there's a Facebook page. Um, you know, just uh, hit us up. Like, I mean, if you've got ideas for themes, uh, submit them to us, and then we'll definitely shout you out on the episode if your theme is chosen. You know what? We love you, and the only reason we will continue to do things is if people listen to it, and we want you to think you've... not just think. We want you to have a real impact on this show. Um, so please, like, just submit your themes. Like you can, you can hit up the podcast account at Odd Splice on Twitter, uh, Odd Splice Podcast on Facebook. I think it's just facebook.com slash Odd Splice. Um, any of that? Uh, I'm at Noam Chamsky on Twitter, the Wine Papa. Uh, <laughs> you can hit me up there. Just, just anywhere. Uh, I think Caleb and Wes are are a little less accessible on the social medias, uh, but I'm here for you. And you can you can text me at home. My uh, my cell phone number is. So the uh, the the given themes right now are numbered one through twenty four, and we've got the RNG up. Oh, Minimum shit. is one, max is one through twenty four. So we're gonna go. And next week's theme appears to be Pimbo. Um, I don't give it. Okay, so it's number four. Four for Pimbo. Number four is love. Nice. Wow. The number, yeah. The uh, the theme for next time is love. Just oh, love. So love. If, if if you hated this, g- give us give us another shot here. Yeah, <laughs> we're begging you. <laughs> yep. Uh, I like the theme because it's specific. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of too many movies that really top tackle the topic so this will be slim pickings uh really all i can all i can think of is like uh star wars episode one and maybe pimbo maybe pimbo oh my god <laughs> i mean he's got a good point with pimbo <laughs> you guys <laughs> please pick pimbo <laughs> um but win. shit uh <laughs> yeah love wow what a hell of a topic um so that's what we'll be coming at with coming at you with next time uh shit man this has been odds place i'm your host josh i'm wesley james and i'm caleb thanks again guys get out of here get out of here you kids yeah what are you doing uh, it's friday night go have go 
go go go look at each other. Yeah, in a fun way. It'll be good. We'll see you next time, folks. God, please cut that.